All right, reliance upon the Spirit, part two, I think, two, yeah? Okay. Um, if you remember last week, we looked at what Paul meant when he said that uh, when he initially came to Corinth, he did so, quote, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, end quote. We looked at that, and we saw that this was in reference to Paul's reverence. <laughs> it's okay. Paul's reverence for the gospel message and his stewardship of that gospel message. Then we talked about how we should have the same reverence toward the gospel message today. Okay? And we were reminded that it is only by God's grace that we even have the privilege of understanding that gospel, let alone having a part in sharing it to help fulfill the Great Commission, right? And finally, we learned that this quote-unquote mystery that Paul speaks of so often in his letters is indeed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the mystery, remember? And not only that, but this mystery was planned since before time began. We learned that. And it was hidden by God, purposely hidden by God throughout the ages, only to be revealed now in these last days as he brings all things together in Christ Jesus, his Son, our Savior. And one more thing, we are also called, we learned last week, um, by God to under, understand this as mature Christians, Paul calls them. And as we discipline ourselves to give all of our attention to it, to the gospel message, and to the sanctification process that results from it, we will grow in Christ, obeying the truth in all wisdom, all faith, submitting, okay, to the leading and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, both individually and collectively as a corporate body of Christ or a corporate local body of Christ here in this area. It's important for us to remember that one of the reasons why Paul admonishes the Corinthians to understand that this is where the head of a mature believer is supposed to be is because their actions at the construction of Paul's letter to them was anything but mature. Remember, they were acting childlike. In fact, he tells them that they should be mature by now, but they are not. Now, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 and 2, which we have not read yet, chapter 3 of verses 1 and 2, Paul reminds them that he had to give them milk to drink and not solid food to eat because they weren't able to receive it. And then he tells them 
that even now they still aren't ready to receive the meat that is the food of the mature believer. So my question to us, to you, to myself, how about us? If you are listening to this sermon, no matter where you are and no matter what time of the day it is, you are going to fall. Listen, this is very important. You're going to fall either into the mature believer category because you've been let me let me back up. There's one um, one point or one sentence I forgot forgot to say here. Okay, um, no matter what time of the day it is, no matter where you are, as I said, you're going to fall into only one of three categories if you uh, claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You are either going to be a mature believer who has been saved for a while and as such feeds on a steady diet of solid food or you are going to be a fairly new believer and as such you might not be quite ready for solid food yet. But instead, you may, and here's, here's the word, legitimately need a whole milk diet of the Christian basics. The, the, I call it the Christian boot camp, uh, if you will. Um, like Things like how to study the Bible inductively and how to pray properly and how to get your feet wet within different types of ministry opportunities that are out there for you to try in order to determine where God wants you to be and to determine where your God-given gifts and talents lie, okay? These are two legitimate places in Christ. The mature or the seasoned believers and the new Christian, okay? So there's mature believers, there's new believers, and seasoned believers. This third category, which appears to be made up of legitimate believers, okay, but inconsistent believers, their inconsistent diet of mostly milk and their virtual rejection of any solid food whatsoever that's offered to them is a stark indication that these people are stagnant in their faith and perhaps completely void of the type of growth that is indicative of a true believer. These Christians are easy to spot because they are, or they, I should say, they behave just like the Corinthians were behaving. They are man worshipers like the Corinthians were. Remember, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. Remember, we talked about what this looks like today. Christians, each following their favorite celebrity pastors and teachers, or more commonly, Christians not only following the man, but also 
following that man's new teaching or new quote-unquote quote-unquote word that the Lord supposedly has given him and only him. I don't know if you caught the fact that the CTV telephone is on this week on um, Christian television. And uh, there's a lot of new words on there that these men claim to have in the, same, in the name of sowing your seed to meet your need. Um, and they have these new prophetic words every time there's a new telethon, which is each quarter. And uh, I, I would like to, I don't have the time, but someday I hope to have the time to write down the prophetic words that these guys have one quarter of the year. And then the next quarter, write down the other prophetic words that they have because they always seem to contradict one another. And I just can't figure out why God would tell them one thing one quarter of the year and then the next thing tell them something completely contradictory the second quarter of the year, but I'll try to figure that out on my own. Anyway, the Corinthian Christians were guilty of such and they also were immoral, uh, sexually promiscuous. They caused uh, schisms in the church. Uh, some thought they were intellectuals and they prided themselves on pseudo-philosophies, while others committed uh, social evils by running roughshod over the less fortunate people in the church and bringing lawsuits against other believers and abusing their liberty in Christ, among other things. These Christians had allowed themselves to become negatively influenced by the pagan world around them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we do the same thing at times. We allow the pagan world around us to influence us in a negative way that draws us away from our God instead of toward our God. Now, according to the Apostle Paul, they, the Corinthians, were operating in the context of the natural man, he called it, instead of the supernatural power of God. In other words, they relied on earthly wisdom instead of God's power uh, not only in regard to the message of the cross, but also in regard to their Christian walk. As pastors in this church, our prayer and utmost desire for you is that you build up your strength to the extent that you are not only ready for solid food, but that you have uh, cravings and yearnings and for those down south, pining for a steady diet of the meat of God's word and right doctrine, correct doctrine. That's our prayer uh, for you. At the risk of sounding dramatic, may I say that we pray and plead 
and been petitioned uh, before the throne of Almighty God on your behalf, asking him to give you ardent and impassioned desire to examine and cross-examine the word of God to the extent that it will cause you to grow into a strong, mature believer, one who does not only know the word, but one uh, who is also moved by the word to be conformed to the image of Christ, thereby living a full and rewarding life in him. Now let's look at our text again in order to refresh the context in our noggins. Keep a hand in 1 Corinthians 2 because we're going to spend a lot of time there and then keep the other hand in these other places that we're going to jump around to, please, because we're going to do a lot of jumping around. So um, 1 Corinthians 2 beginning in verse 7, if you just follow along with me as I read verse 7, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, verse 9. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, capital S, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Okay, we saw last week that God's wisdom is his plan of salvation, right? It's the gospel. Not only that, but it was his own eternal secret, God's own eternal secret that no one else was privy to, okay? Nor could they have even fathomed it even if they did know it, at least not without the Holy Spirit allowing them to get it, right? This was God's thing, this hidden mystery for the ages foreordained before the world began. As a matter of fact, Paul speaks of this in Romans where he talks about the fact that God consigned both Jews and Gentiles to disobedience. Think about that for a minute. I'm quoting here, okay? God consigned both Jews and Gentiles to disobedience by keeping his Salvific plan, God's plan of salvation, a secret. Beginning in verse 32, if you want to look there, 
You probably should look there. 32 of Romans 11. <clears throat> Sorry. Romans 11, beginning in verse 32. For God has shut up all. The context here, folks, you'll see if you read the chapter, the context is Jews and Gentiles. God has shut up all. The all refers to Jews and Gentiles. In disobedience, so that he may show mercy to all. Okay, so let's just stop there for a minute. God has made it so by the free will of these people that they're going to choose disobedience. And why is God going to do that? So that he can show his mercy to them and therefore show his glory. Look at verse 33. What, what does Paul say to that? Okay, he says to verse 32, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Verse 35. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen now right before the passage that i just read to you in verses 30 and 31 look at those paul says for just as you gentiles once were disobedient to god but now have been shown mercy because of their their disobedience the jews disobedience so these also now have been disobedient that because of the mercy shown to you Gentiles, they, the Jews, also may now be shown mercy. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Um, God's allowing them to be disobedient so that he could show his mercy upon them and get the glory. That's the context here. Remember when we studied Romans chapters 1 and 2, I preached a whole series of sermons on the importance of apologetics. And we looked at the fact that we could never have understood, remember, we could never have understood or appreciated the perfect goodness of God if we hadn't first known that which was less than the perfect good or that was evil. So you've got the perfect goodness of God, sinless, all good. And the only way that you could come to understand that goodness and the perfection of that goodness is to look at it through the lens of that which was less than perfect goodness, that which had sinned that which was evil. Are you with me? Okay. One cannot fully appreciate the light 
unless they've experienced the darkness. You're not going to understand or have a comprehensive appreciation for the lights unless someone turns out the lights, puts you in darkness, and you trip and fall. Then you're going to appreciate the light. Same thing, okay? Here in Romans, particularly those two verses that I read, verse 30, verse 31 of chapter 11, we would have no understanding of God's vast mercy upon us if we hadn't experienced and understood our own disobedience. So he allows us, Jews and Gentiles, to be disobedient and to wallow in our disobedience so that we can understand how good it is when he's merciful and in turn praise him for it. This is God's pattern, folks, for everything. Remember when we studied the philosophical and scriptural aspects of antithesis that was in that same apologetics series? Here it is in play once again. Everything in the universe consists of antithesis. Hot, cold, black, white, light, dark, in, out, male, female, expand, contract. I could go on probably for four hours. Everything is antithesis. In our text, um, God says that that which is eternal, his wisdom, his plan of salvation, even his glory is a mystery. That's what Paul's calling it. Paul calls it all a mystery. How? Not only by looking at the antithetical aspects of the universe and his eternal plan, but also by looking at his grace and his mercy toward us, we can see how this is, how he has patterned everything after this type of philosophy, okay? And Paul ends his letter to the Romans with these words, okay? Romans 16 now, going from 11 to 16, verses 25 through 27. Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, verse 26, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you see this hidden secret mystery, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ now 
revealed by God the Father to us through his Holy Spirit shows the power and majesty of Almighty God on high like no other thing that has ever existed or transpired in the universe. The hidden mystery now revealed brings home God's glory like nothing else. It even brings it home better than his own creation, his own created order. There's never been anything greater than this hidden secret mystery that he now brings forth and explains to us in his son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Everybody has been talking lately about these beautiful pictures that the Webb telescope has been transmitting back to earth. And rightfully so. They're beautiful. They're awe-inspiring. If you're a believer, you're going to look at these pictures like I did. You're going to praise God for his beauty and his glory. And, and these pictures, they should be shown to everyone. Okay? Because it, they, I believe they point, that beauty points to God. But... These pictures are nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to the mystery of the gospel, once hidden and now revealed to the entire world. Nothing can be compared to that glory. Let's look at more of God's glory. Flip over to Ephesians, please, if you would. Ephesians 1. Peppermint Altoid in ice cold water is a great recipe for a brain freeze. Wow. <sighs> All right. Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3, <clears throat> Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That, that grace causes you to pray, praise and glorify the Lord, which he freely, Paul says, bestowed on us in the beloved, that's you and me, in him we have redemption through his blood, 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him, that is in Christ, okay? There's God's glory, church. His glory is in this hidden mystery that was a secret for a very long time. And now, with the advent of the gospel and Christ manifesting himself in human flesh and living a sinless life and dying as the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins and ascending and pleading, praying on our behalf at the throne, in the throne room of God, at his right hand. That is what he purposed. And now it's no longer hidden. It's no longer a secret. And that should cause us to not only glorify his name, but to tell everyone to, to preach the gospel. Verse 11 of Ephesians 1 says that this was all God's plan set forth in Christ. A plan, Paul says, for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Wow! If that doesn't make you praise the Lord, nothing will. Do you remember last week when we looked at our responsibility as stewards of this mystery, the gospel? What did Paul say about um, that fact to the Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus? In chapter 3, verses 2 through 5 of Ephesians, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me, to Paul, for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight. This is Paul talking. My insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations, ready, was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about being a steward, a manager, a keeper of God's grace and the insight that he was given regarding the mystery of Christ, okay, we are now stewards and managers of. And what I want you to see this week is verse 5, same chapter, okay. Verse 5 says, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. There's a parallel. Now, this is where I really want you to follow me in, in your Bible, okay? 
there's a parallel between 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. If you can write that down, parallel between 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 10, that's our text. So parallel between our text and Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Now, look at our text for a moment. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 6. With the other hand, hold it open to Ephesians 3. Okay, In the Ephesians 3, 4 and 5 passage that we just read, Paul says that the mystery wasn't, listen, wasn't made known to the sons of men in other generations. In verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 2 of our text there, Paul says that the mystery, same mystery he's talking about, the hidden wisdom wasn't understood by this age nor the ruler's of this age. Then he says in verse 8 of, of our text, for if they had understood it, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. There's the parallel between the Ephesians passage and our text, 1 Corinthians 2. It is the fact that God hid his mystery from previous generations. He hid it from the rulers of this age so that they would not understand he did this on purpose so that they would not get it, so that they would not understand it. That's why they crucified the Lord, he says. 1 Corinthians 2, 8. They wouldn't have crucified him, he says. If they would have known, if God would have made it known to them, if he would have revealed it to them through the Holy Spirit like he's doing to us today, they would have never killed him. They would have known he was the Messiah. But God hid it from them, from seeing it. This is why, okay, in Luke 23, 34, okay, Jesus said as he was dying on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. <laughs> they didn't get it. And Jesus knew they didn't get it. And Jesus knew why they didn't get it. Because the Father wouldn't let them get it. He blinded their eyes purposefully. Paul says they would have never crucified him if they would have known. 1 Corinthians 2.8. So, God hid it from them because he wanted them to crucify his only begotten son because that was the plan. That was the secret. That was the mystery. That was the hidden secret mystery from before time began, before he created anything. And he was just God. So the plan is first revealed, we know this, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Right? Verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now God is bringing it all to pass 
in the fullness of time. How specifically does God do that? He does it by way of his Holy Spirit, Paul says. Hence the title of our sermon last week and this week, Reliance Upon the Spirit. The rulers who crucified our Lord didn't understand this because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Paul would have never got this either if he didn't have the Holy Spirit on that Damascus road revealing himself. Jesus and the Holy Spirit regenerating Paul and working on his heart, taking out his heart of stone, replacing it with a heart of flesh. And you and I wouldn't be here this morning if we didn't get it. And we only got it because the Father made it known to us through the mystery that's no longer a mystery, through the hidden secret that's no longer a secret. By way of the Holy Spirit, you see the whole Trinity working here. So verses 9 through 12 of our text can be summed up with one sentence. I'm summing it up this way, okay? Quote, the gospel cannot be perceived by human beings apart from the illuminating grace of the Holy Spirit. One more time. The gospel cannot be perceived by human beings apart from the illuminating grace of the Holy Spirit. Please look, if you would, at verse 10 of our text, 1 Corinthians 2, please. 1 Corinthians 2.10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Think about that. We're not going to elaborate on that yet, but think about that. The Holy Spirit searching the very depths of God. So what? this is, this is what I want you to answer in your mind. I'm going to give you the question. What has God revealed through the Spirit? What is Paul specifically talking about here in our text? He's talking about the previous verse, verse 9 of our text, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, where he quotes... Some Bibles actually have this cross-reference incorrectly. It's just a typo. Um, but when I went back and I looked, I could see that I, th I think some of the um, men who wrote the notes in some study Bibles just copied off the notes in other study Bibles because they all get the same cross-reference wrong. Um, Isaiah 64, 4, he's quote, in verse 9, uh, 1 Corinthians Nine. He's quoting part of Isaiah 64, 4, and he's also quoting part of Isaiah 52, 15. Okay? Verse 9 of our text, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, 
but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. This is what he is talking about in verse 10. All that God has prepared for us in Christ that is now going to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. That's verse 10. Now look at verse 11. I'm almost done. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? That spirit is a small case S. Okay? For whom among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, Paul says, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God, capital S. See that? So, in our, our natural man, it's our spirit, whatever makes up our psyche, personality, brain, okay? And in God, it's the Holy Spirit who searches out the thoughts of God, capital S, God. Now, what I want you to see here is that we are totally, uh, unequivocally reliant, hence the title of the sermon, reliant upon the Holy Spirit to learn anything that is in God's mind and anything that he intends to reveal to us. We are dependent, we are relying on the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, to have stuff revealed to us. Even if you're saying, even if you say, well, you know, God reveals things to me through his word, doesn't he? Yeah, through the Holy Spirit. He points things out in the word that are true. Even the fact that God speaks to us um, through his word is something that I don't think we often enough, at least I don't often enough, Go to his word with that in my mind. You know? I'll just open it up and start reading. I don't typically open it up and think, eh, what's the Holy Spirit have to reveal to me today? But maybe we should be thinking, hey, not only what does the Holy Spirit have to reveal to me today, but um, Holy Spirit, would you please reveal to me today what I need to read and need to hear? Um, so, given what God has revealed in our text... Given that which he has given us to comprehend by his Holy Spirit, what do we know? What have we learned this morning? What will he continue to give us as we rely on his Holy Spirit? Well, look at verse 12 of our text, 1 Corinthians 2.12, beginning there, okay? I'm going to read this carefully because there's a lot here. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, small s, but the spirit who is from God, capital S, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by 
the Spirit, capital S, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, okay? But the natural man, or he says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot, remember the very beginning of the sermon, he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So what do we get and what don't we get from the Holy Spirit? I don't mean to make it sound like, uh, you know, toys in a Mickey D's Happy Meal. Um, you know, what did you get? What did you get? But the text is very matter of fact on this stuff. So it's not like we have to guess, okay? First, let's look at what we don't get in regard to the Holy Spirit uh, revealing these things to us. We don't get the spirit of the world, verse 12, if you look at verse 12. We don't get the spirit of the world. We get the spirit from God. Well, you know, that's good. That means that we don't get a spirit of slavery leading to fear, Romans eight fifteen. Remember? We don't get a spirit of slavery leading to fear, and we don't get a, a spirit of uh, timidity like Paul warned Timothy about. Uh, but instead, we receive a spirit of what? Adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Romans 8.15. Um, the other thing that we don't get, 1 Corinthians 1.27, part of our text, we don't get foolish and weak things. Okay, so those are a couple of things that, that we know we can avoid. The Spirit's not going to readily give those to us. The natural man's going to give those to us. Um, awkward place to stop, but we should probably stop here. Okay, so um, we'll talk more next time about what we do get. So we'll just say, okay, we stopped at what we don't get We'll talk more about what we do get from the Holy Spirit the next time we pick up. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, because there's a lot more here and there's not enough time. All right.